0: So this morning, this last message is about service. It's about the spirit or the attitude that we must have as believers uh, and how we deal with the world around us. The the title of the message this morning is called The Necessity of Service. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, it's necessary. The text is found in Mark chapter 10, four verses, 42 through 45. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. He says, but among you, everybody say, but among you, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your what? There it is, emboldened. Jesus gives us this upside down kingdom. If you're going to live, you have to die. If you want to produce, you have to to give in order to receive. Uh, All of these upside down backward, it's counterintuitive because it's not the way the world operates. If we want to lead, we have to serve. If we want to be first, we must willingly be last. All of these are a part of the upside down kingdom that Jesus is demonstrating. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Last verse. I'd like the whole congregation to read it with me if you would. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. My one thing. I will repeat this through the message. It's like a chorus in a song. Each points like a different verse. We'll come back to the chorus and hear it again. Because if you don't get anything else out of the message this morning, I want you to grab the one thing. Because Jesus is the servant of servants, it is impossible to take up his yoke and follow him and then not be actively serving myself. How foolish is it to think that I am, call myself a follower of Christ and not be serving my family, my home, my community, my local church, fellow believers? Folk who don't know Jesus yet, God's called us to be servant of all. Somebody say amen. Find a wall and read it with me like you really mean it. Come on, let's get it in one time. Here we go. Because Jesus is the servant of servants, it is impossible to take up his yoke to follow him and then not be actively serving myself. I want to take up his yoke. I see how Jesus prayed and I do it. I want to be able to walk in the power of the spirit like Jesus did. I learn to fast. I learn to abstain from something, food, water, an activity, and seek the Lord in that time. I want to learn to deal with circumstances from a biblical perspective, so I watch how Jesus operates and utilizes the word, how he deals with the temptation of the enemy, how he quoted scripture. And so I follow him by doing. I mimeo, Greek word imitate, be imitators. Of me, Paul said in Ephesians 5, as dear children, be imitators of God. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I think it is false humility and it's self serving when a pastor says, don't follow me, follow Jesus, because when I see the scripture, I see the apostle Paul saying, follow me as I follow Christ. I believe that you ought to have a leader that can be followed. It doesn't mean that any one of us are perfect. It means is that we acknowledge our brokenness, and that if we miss it in some kind of way, that we own that, that we are responsible, that we say we're sorry when we need to say we're sorry. We take steps to do to make things right. Somebody say, "Amen." Craig Rochelle is a hero of mine. Pastors Life Church nationally. I think there's about I don't remember how many multiple campuses. That he has, but phenomenal author, great motivational speaker, great pastor, raised in the Methodist church, had a true Holy Spirit infilling in his life, and God's used him in this generation as a firebrand uh, to ignite leadership among pastors. And he says this he said, People would rather follow a leader. And I started to quote this, and it just went right out the door. You ever do that? Okay, here it is. Thank you, thank you, Holy Spirit. This, the CD jumped off the track, and I got to get it back on. People would rather follow a leader who is always real, rather than one who is always right. Amen. Now, think about that. Being real means that you're just being real. You're being authentic. You're being genuine. You, you're not playing. You're not putting on a false front. You're not faking it. Uh, You know, when when it needs to be said, you just said, hey, look, this is is a weakness. This is where I struggle. This is who I am. By the grace of God, he helps me. And so I believe people would rather follow a leader who is always real rather than one who is always right, because if one is always right, you can know some stuff is being propped up sometimes, (laughs) because ain't nobody right all the time except for God. Come on, somebody. Because Jesus is the servant of servants, it is impossible to take up his yoke to follow him and then not be actively serving myself. Pray with me. Father, I need you this morning. I say that, and I fully acknowledge that I know that apart from you, I can do nothing. And I also am grateful that I'm no longer apart from you, but because Christ is in me, the hope of glory, and I am in Christ, a new creation, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Holy Spirit, be our eyes and our ears and our hearts. Give us openness, perception, understanding, a willingness to hear and change. Spirit of the living God, I pray today for clarity in my thinking and brevity in my speech. Thank you today for your heart being touched by our worship. And I ask you today that our hearts would be touched by your gospel. Transform us by the living true message that right now Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. We acknowledge that, we declare that, we believe that. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said amen. The Gospels give us the four-faced man. It gives us the four different pictures. It's vignettes. Matthew gives us the picture of Jesus the king, the king of kings, the lion, the king of the Jews. An extensive genealogy appears in Matthew in order to show the people to whom it was written, the Jewish people, that Jesus is their Messiah. He is their king. He is God sent Yeshua Hamashiach. Mark. Mark gives us the picture of Jesus the servant. It is the ox. That ox is the burden bearer. One of the redemptive names of Jesus from Isaiah 42 is the servant of the Lord. More specifically, in other places, he's referred to as the suffering servant. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus left the privilege and the glory of heaven, and he came born of a woman in the likeness of men and found himself fashioned to be a servant, a servant of servants. And the ox is the servant of servants. It's the burden bearer. It pulls the load. It carries the weight. Jesus is the ox of scripture who carries our burdens of sin away from us as far as the east is from the west. Mark was written like a movie script. It's not As detailed, it's the shortest gospel, 16 chapters, where Matthew is 28 and Luke is 24 and John is 22. And so we remember. And all of these are different pictures. Jesus in Matthew, written to the Jews, is the king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Mark, he is the ox, the servant of servants. In Luke, written by a physician, trained by the Greeks, written to the Greeks to prove to them that this Jesus is the God-man, the perfect man, referred to in Luke over and over as the son of man, the son of man, the son of man. John is different from the other three. Those first three are called the Synoptic Gospels, S-Y-N, together, optic, to see together, the Synoptic Gospels. You see those same stories told over and over and over in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John, it's different. John takes seven it seven sign miracles, and reveals who Jesus is through every one of those miracles, and John is written to the believer, and it's there where we see the fourth face of the new creation man. We see the eagle book of Revelation chapter 1, book of Ezekiel, talks about the four faces of the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. Those are the, the four faces of Jesus Christ, the king, the servant, the perfect man, God himself. And so this morning as we look to this passage, we're reminded of this servant aspect, this ox, this burden bearer. And I just want you to remember that as we follow Jesus, we've got to remember because Jesus is the servant of servant, the ox of oxes. It is impossible to take up his yoke like an ox would and follow him and then not be actively serving myself. Point number one this morning, very quickly, there are two kinds of people at your job, in your family, in your neighborhood, in the community, in the local church. Even in victory, there are two kinds of people. You are either a producer or you're a consumer. We learned this in biology class. There are up and down the food chain. There are producers and there are consumers. There's certainly nothing wrong with consumers because producers have to eat and we have to consume. But God forbid that we would only be entitled in our thinking that we're only here just to gobble up (laughs) Help us, Lord, if you're sitting through two services and just soaking up like a sponge and not willing to take a little bit of time and serve the new people that are coming in. To take time to stand at the door and share and be a greeter or to pass out uh, whatever the cards, whatever we're doing these days. We're going to put a special one in your seat and give it to you as you walk in next Sunday that's going to give you a picture of our Outreach 22 I'm asking you to pray for the next couple of weeks and ask the Lord what he would have you to give in a special offering that we'll be receiving November the 14th. It's our miracle offering. We didn't do one in 2020. Everything was shut down. The pandemic had churches closed. We were live streaming in order to stay engaged and connected with our congregation. At this point, we've had about 60, 65% of our congregation return. Some we will never get back because they got out of the habit. It's, it's so unfortunate that, that people get used to technology as, wonder, as wonderful of a blessing as it is. And thank you for those of you that are tuned in today. If you're immunocompromised, you're right where you need to be. But if you've just gotten out of the habit of getting up and getting a shower and putting your clothes on and coming to the house of God, whether, wherever that is, if that's First Marion or if it's Victory Church or if it's First Assembly West Memphis or wherever, then I just want to gingerly shake you and go, come on, you can't keep, this is not the church. Well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, you don't have to go home to be married either. But I tell you, as long as long you stay away, it's going to affect the quality of that marriage. This is where we are. This is, this is where we huddle. This is where we get a challenge. This is where we call the plays. This is not about... This is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is everything you do out there the other six days a week. It's how you serve in that community. It's how you bring peace in that neighborhood where somebody is fighting over six inches of dirt. God have mercy, help us, Jesus. The stuff that people fuss about. And it, as if you couldn't hang with the, the local stuff, you get on social media and fuss with people you don't even know. I'll leave that alone. Two kinds of people, producers or consumers. My goodness, we want to produce. We want to be actively involved. I got a text from a young couple this week, and they were inviting me and another young couple over to their house and for some fellowship and to hang out together. And immediately my response was, what can I bring? I know I'm the pastor, but I really don't think in terms of everybody's responsibility is to feed me. Matter of fact, these days I'm very selective about who I let feed me because I'm trying to not be the 346-pound guy that I was three years ago. Because I'm trying. I'm trying to be an example. I'm trying to recapture my health continuously. In the things that I eat, that I put into my body, and the way that I exercise, and the stuff that I have learned to give up, because there is longevity in my genes. I've got family members, grandparents who lived well into their nineties, and I believe that my generation—I believe that I will break a hundred. I don't. That's not just just kind of radical faith talking, I think that if you're alive in 2021, the opportunity for you in the next 20, 30 years to have a longer extended life and have quality of life, I believe that there will be people in the next 50 years that will live to be 120. Somebody says, well, Jesus is going to come back before then. Okay, that's great if he does. I wish he'd come right now because it would fix every problem I've got. Okay? Okay. Look at your neighbor and say, y'all still here? Okay, I'm not doing away. I believe he's coming back. But I'm going to tell you, I I, I just don't need somebody saying Jesus is coming because let me tell you, when he gets up to come, it ain't going to take him that long to get here. So obviously he's not coming yet. And so I want to be actively involved in doing what he's called me to do and finding a sense of fulfillment in my purpose and serving where he's called me to serve and being a steward over my time and my talent and my treasure and my finance. I'll just give you a heads up right now. The next two Sundays, I am going to preach on, oh my goodness, don't even say it, money. Money. Every Sunday, I mean every year, we're going to take a couple of Sundays and do this For the guests that are here, I will briefly apologize, but for the rest of the message, I won't back up because I'm going to teach you financial principles from the scripture about the kingdom of God, how God will bless you if you will put them into play. Come on, somebody, say amen. Now, if half of y'all don't show next week, I rebuke you already in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus is the servant of servants, it's impossible to take up his yoke to follow him and then not be actively serving myself. Point number two, the camels are coming. Look at your neighbor and say, the camels are coming. Now, I want to read a little bit to you because this is the story from Genesis chapter 24 about Abraham, the father of our faith. His beautiful wife, Sarah, had passed on to her eternal reward at this point, Isaac, was on up a grown man at this, at this stage. Eliezer, who was the head of the household, he was the oikos, he was the steward of the house. He was the manager, the household manager. He was the servant that ran all the other servants. If you've ever watched Downton Abbey and you see, his name just escaped me right there, the guy that ran the whole house. So this was what Eliezer did. Who? That's it right there. I didn't hear you but whatever it is, whatever she said that's it. Eliezer. Eliezer is the head servant of the household. Isaac is a single young man and Abraham has a desire to bring his promised son a wife. Now, let me just tell you before I get into this story that Eliezer in this story is a picture a prophetic symbol of the Holy Spirit. He is a a prophetic symbol to show us the work of the Holy Spirit in going out to find Jesus' bride. He's going to look for a specific young woman for Isaac. And we know that in the story, her name is Rebecca, an amazing, beautiful young woman and What a powerful story it is because Eliezer leaves Abraham after making a vow, swearing to him that he would go among his people and bring back, far away, a distance. Abraham said, do not let my son marry one of these heathen women in this area. Go among my family, those that are God-fearing, and bring a young woman back. And so Eliezer is a picture of the Holy Spirit who goes seeking and looking into the hearts and the lives of individual people to draw you by the Holy Spirit so that you would become part of the corporate bride of Jesus Christ, our heavenly Isaac. And so we read in Genesis chapter 24, it says, Abraham was now a very old man and the Lord had blessed him in every way. If God graces me to be able to live to break a 100, that's what I want my testimony to be. Michael was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. His children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren and the legacy that he left and people that could be identified spiritually by those terms, his spiritual children and his spiritual grandchildren that had been affected by his ministry were touched. And God had blessed him in every kind of way. That's, that's the desire that I see. That I would live long enough that my life would be like Job. He was old and full of years. You know, when the scripture defines someone as being old and stops, it just means they had a life that's it's really not that great. But when it says he was full of years, it means that the blessing of God was in abundance in his life. And so that's my desire. One day Abraham said to his oldest servant, that's Eliezer, the man in charge of the household, take an oath. He says, swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, find a wife there for my son Isaac. The servant asked, but what if I can't find a young woman who is willing to travel so far from home? Should I then take Isaac there to live among your relatives in the land you came from? No, Abraham said, be careful never to take my son there, for the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. He will send his angel ahead of you, and he will see to it that you will find a wife there for my son. If she is unwilling to come back with you, then you are free from this oath of mine, but under no circumstances are you to take my son there. The whole family had gotten up and left Ur of the Chaldees, Iraq. And they'd heard a call from God. But Tira, Nahor, Laban, relatives, brothers, dad of Abraham, had all stayed at a spot. They went so far and then stopped. Abraham was, who, was the only one who continued to pursue the dream that God had given initially the whole family. Abraham was a breakthrough person in his family. Every family has one. Somebody who's the first to graduate high school. Somebody who's the first to graduate college. Somebody who's the first to maybe get a trade and start a business and to be financially successful and viable. Someone who is the first to break the curse of a family that has been stricken by a a terrible, horrible, addictive pattern of behavior. Your grandfather was an alcoholic. Your father was an alcoholic. You were destined to be an alcoholic. That is bull. That is not the kingdom of God talking. You can be a breaker. You can break that curse. You can break through. You can see God do something new in your life that he's never done in anybody in the history of your family line before. Abraham pursued and he said, no, do not let my son go back there because God promised me that this land that I'm dwelling in tents in right now, living as a wandering nomad, that God would give this to me and to my descendants. And Isaac can't be over there and inherit this land here. It was a distant journey. So the servant took the oath. He swore to follow Abraham's instructions. Then he loaded 10 of Abraham's camels. How many? Ten of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master. And he traveled to a distant country. And it gives it here. And I'm, I'm speaking in tongues if I try to pronounce it. Then he went to the town where Abraham's brother Nahor had settled. He made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town. It was evening and the women were coming out to draw water. Listen to what Eliezer prayed. Oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today. See, I'm standing here beside the spring and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink and I will water your camels too, let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master before he had finished praying. I love that. How many of you know God knows what you're asking before you ever open your mouth? Before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebekah. Everybody say, here she is. He named Rebekah coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. Rebekah was very beautiful, of course. And old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, "'Please give me a little to drink of water from your jug.' "'Yes, my lord,' she answered. "'Have a drink.' And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, "'I'll draw water for your camels too.'" There it is, right there. "'I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink.'" So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for her camels. Now, if you read the rest of the story, and it's too much to read, there's 67 verses in that chapter. How many of you thankful we're not going to read it all? It says that Rebecca ran back to the well, dropped her jug into the well, drew it up again, and she ran back and threw it into the trough where the camels are drinking. Does anybody remember how many camels Eliezer rode up on? Everybody say 10. I did a little bit of research. And uh, first of all, camels don't store the water in their humps. That's just nonsense. Those humps are made out of fat that the camels have stored in, in healthy seasons of a lot of eating and drinking. They actually store the water in their red blood cells. So after a long protracted journey... The camels are dehydrated. Their water is depleted. It needs to be repleted. And I, I, I googled the question, how much can a camel drink when they're dehydrated? How much can they drink at one sitting? And the answer on, on Google was 20 gallons. 20 gallons. Do y'all hear that? How many camels? Times equals... 200 gallons. Okay, let's just cut it in half. Let's just say his camels didn't need a a full. Their tanks were half. They already had half, and they're just going to top it off. Can you imagine how long it would take for Rebecca to run back and forth from a well and to empty into a trough for 10 camels to drink 10 gallons of water each? First of all, can you imagine? I mean, just, I've got a I've got a gallon of water that I try to drink every day. But to think about doing that in one gulp, 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 and it's all running all over me. The camels are standing there. They're drinking. She's emptying. Y'all, we're talking about not just a quick 10-minute serve project. We're talking about probably taking a minimum of 90 minutes to two hours to run enough water back and forth as the camels are just continuing to lap it up. And she's noticing this must be a pretty rich man because he's only riding one, but he's got nine other camels that are packed down with some stuff she can't see because it's hidden under tapestries and Persian rugs and however they packed their camels in those days. She didn't know that underneath all of that camping equipment, and after all of that packing that was on the back of those camels, that were, there was 10 camel loads of expensive gifts that had been sent from Abraham. She didn't know that it was destined by God to be hers. She didn't know that Eliezer, a picture of the Holy Spirit, had prayed and said, let the woman who says, I'll give you water to drink, but I'll water your camels too until they finish drinking, that the Holy Spirit says, that's the one that's going to be the bride of the promised son, Isaac. Too often, God says, I'm gonna send blessing into your life, and you don't realize it, but he sends you a load of camels, camels that bite and spit. I was sitting at Bellevue Baptist Church during the Easter season Oh my gosh, 25 years ago, and they were showing the glory of Easter, and they marched the camels around through the room, and the camel stopped and bit the bun on the top of a little, very well to do looking little woman, probably from Germantown or Cotterville. (laughs) And she let out a shriek that wasn't the Holy Ghost high pitched. It was hilarious. The camel was doing what camels do they spit and they bite. Have you know that when problems come in your life, it isn't just to distract you and give you something to gritch about? Forgive me. You know what gritching is? It's griping in another word. I won't say it because we're in church. But camels are loaded down with blessings that you don't even know about because you can't see it yet. If you're willing to serve what it takes to be able to rehydrate those camels. Who was it? It was Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, the father of positive thinking that said, Every problem we face has within it the seeds of its own solution. And please don't knee-jerk that. Some folk are afraid of positive thinking because they think it sounds a little bit new-agey. There's nothing wrong with looking at the world from a, an, an intentional positive viewpoint. I believe as Christians we ought to be positive. As Christians we should, should not be pessimistic. As Christians, we ought to be brimming with faith, filled with a sense of victory that has already been won in the cross of Jesus Christ. Victory that is ours. Victory because it's the end of the book says we win. But we encounter our camels and we just gritch and we grumble and we gripe and we complain. Oh God, these stinking camels. Why did you send these camels into my life? All along not knowing that they are bedecked, they are packed down with blessings blessings that are going to come to me if I'm willing to serve and follow through to deal with a problem. Promotion is yours if you can find the solution to what your company is wrestling with. There's a camel. Are you going to curse the camel or are you going to serve the camel? God's sending some camels in your life and you've got to learn how to serve and how to give How do we call ourselves followers of Jesus who is the servant of servants and we're not actively involved in serving his kingdom and his people and our families and our communities? And no matter what you do, whether you're on the job, serving the customer, whether you're teaching in the classroom, serving those students, pouring out your life with a sense of excellence, helping them to break through, limiting mentalities and thinking that's holding them back because some of them have been raised in homes with parents that are so gripped by a poverty mindset, they're told regularly by their parents that they'll never amount to anything, they'll never go anywhere, they'll never be anybody and my God, help the teachers in Crittenden County because they've got to be breakthrough people. they got to love on. Got to love on. We've got to pour our hearts out for a God who loves us. And let and I, I, Jesus said, you know, the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And those are the two bars of the cross. It's easy to reach up and love God. It's, it's loving all you bunch of cussed people. That's the problem. That's a joke. Don't get offended at me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Nothing ever revealed to me how selfish I was until the day I got married. And then we moved in together, and we started to serve each other in expectations. And I was married to the love of my life for over 30 years until five years ago this month. I lost her mental illness, and she took her own life. And through those years, I grew, and I'm thankful that she loved me, and I loved her, and we, we, we learned how to walk together and walk in agreement and how to forgive each other when we, when we missed it and when we had a bad attitude, and I did, and she did, and we did, and we made it. But so many times, this becomes the source of being able to do this. If I don't have a full tank of this, of loving God, there's no way I can love people until I get peace with God. I will never have the peace of God that I can minister to somebody else. Are you hearing me this morning? Camels are coming, and the camels are packed down with the blessing of God, but you can't see it because it's covered up, and they're hungry, and they're thirsty, and they spit, and they bite, and problems Always, sometimes beget other problems. It's so cool because there's 10 camels. Eliezer is a picture of the Holy Spirit and there's nine that are packed down with gifts. There's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and shows you that Isaac, Jesus, our heavenly Isaac, is your bridegroom and you're part of his bride, then he gives you expensive gifts that have been sent from the Father, which is a picture that Abraham provides with us. So, amazing story. Because Jesus is the servant of servants, it is impossible to take up his yoke to follow him and then not be actively serving myself. I want to apply some scripture, and I'm finished this morning. Last point. And I'm going to just give you eight sentences. Point number one. Remember your focus. Colossians 3.23. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. If you could ever change your perspective about who you're working for and realize that God always uses some mechanism, a job where you share your time and your gift in exchange for money. And it's through that mechanism that God primarily blesses you, creates opportunities, uh, brings promotions, bonuses, blessings. If you are an ingenious thinker and you come up with an idea and you create a new product, and come on, there's, there's some ingenuity in this room. How much, I mean, honest to goodness, how much creativity does it actually really take for the dude at 3M to come up with a little stack of precisely cut square stick-it notes with a little bit of glue on the back of every stinking one of them and how... Somebody has become a quintillionaire that's ridiculous that I use that word, a gazillionaire, whatever. Somebody is still making so much money off of a silly idea like that, and yet we all use sticket notes. How many? Come on. You guys can think like that. Somebody in this room, you've got an idea. My goodness, put it into play. let 's meet together. Let me pray for you. Get that thing going. get that thing marketed come on, so you can tithe and pay off this church that we're sitting in here right now. Oh, pastor, I can't believe you. Well, yes, absolutely. How many of you know when God blesses you abundantly, it's because he wants to bless you so that you can bless others, so you can bless his kingdom. And you know, the difference in the kingdom of God and the federal government is that God only asks for 10%. Yeah, I'll just leave that alone. Don't care what your political party is. Point number two under the last one: steward your gift. First Peter four ten, God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Some of you are organizational. Some of you have leadership. Some of you are financially gifted and can advise. Some of you have teaching gifts. Some of you have mercy. Some of you can sit with others. You're encouragers. You can come alongside those who've had great losses and you can love on them and not give them. Quote, pad answers to explain why the horrible thing happened, but just to sit and listen and just share the love of God with them. Some of you are evangelistic. Some of you are prophetic. Some of you can see. What was that I saw this week on a meme, and I thought, man, it is so good. I think it was Morgan Freeman who says, "The older I get, the less good my eyesight is, but the greater my ability to see through peoples." And he used the word BS, and I don't mean Bible study. That's true. Your natural eyes aren't as good, but man, you are, there's a perception. It's because you've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. You've, you've been around the block and you said, okay, I remember. This is same song, 14th verse from back here. Yeah, I smell this. It smells the same. Y'all getting anything out of this this morning? Come on, number three, serving isn't an option. He sat down, called the 12 disciples, said to him, over to him, and he said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Why? Because Jesus is the servant of servants, it's impossible to take up his yoke to follow him and not be actively serving myself. Number four, fulfillment is in your purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Number five, be passionate. Everybody say Be passionate. Romans 12, 11 says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Okay, there are Sundays that you just don't feel like it. Look, this is one of those days. It was foggy outside. It's chilly. It's been, one, it's, a, it's been a first real fall weekend. And driving here, I was coming down Military Road, and I could literally see the blanket of fog as soon as I crossed under the overpass. And it just kind of like a cloud. Now, y'all are great. First service, I thought I was going to have to raise the dead. Yeah. I just said, okay, right now, just let's do a spiritual exercise. Everybody say, amen. I said, let's do it three times. Amen. 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 And I was kidding, but I was going, okay, I want you to wake up a little bit. <laughs> let's do some charismatic calisthenics or something to kind of get some blood flowing because you can just sense it. It's in the room. It's just kind of a draggy. Okay. And so I just want to remind you, you know, you make commitments and you show up and you serve at the refreshment counter for the Patriot ball games or for the band or your student that's marching and playing in the band or all kinds of other community events and things and you show up with a smile on your face, why can't we show up at the house of God and serve at the door and put a smile on our face and say good morning? Because in that we create the environment where when people visit they can say, those people love the Lord and they love each other because there's love in the house. Are you all hearing what I'm saying this morning? You get anything out of this? Number six, God sees you. We're seen by him. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. So, yes, God wants us to serve in the community. He wants us to serve in our homes, but he also wants us to serve in the local church. We got serve teams right now that are hurting. We need you. We've had probably 65% of our congregation come back still. There'll be some folks we never see again, and it breaks my heart because they got out of the habit. they thankful for technology, thankful for live streaming. You know, when everything was shut down, that's all we could do, but it's not all we can do now. I saw the report this week for the metro area of Memphis, which was a hot spot for the Delta variant back in August with 700 cases a day. Now is under 10% of that. It's under 70 a day in the whole area. So this thing has turned. This thing has turned. And I also know that we're heading into flu season and it could be another round and, and be rough again. Use wisdom. Mask up when you need to. You know what? Take care of yourself. Take, make choices that are going to be healthy for you. If you've not been vaccinated, there are the things that you can do. I personally am. I don't put that on anybody in the sense of expectations on what you ought to do. I believe in, per, I, I think vaccinations are great. I don't think mandates are the right thing. And so I'll just say that. That's as, as political as I'm going to get with any of that. But whatever you do, use wisdom. Trust God. Work hard. Never quit. Use wisdom, somebody. Come on, put your hands together. Give the Lord praise. Number seven, it's your job. It's your job to serve. We, we in the South and Southern churchianity have a tendency to think that, well, we've hired the pastor. He's the man on salary. He's the one who's supposed to do all this while we sit back and spectate. Let me just remind you. Friday night football, the coach doesn't run out on the field, hike the ball, run back and become the quarterback and catch the ball, throw the ball, run out and become the receiver and then run it across the goal line. The coach collects a group of people, helps them discern their specific gifts in the defensive and offensive teams and he plugs them into those places with training and equipping, running drills, teaching them skills so that when they come together as a whole team that they can function toward victory. They can function toward winning. They can accomplish what they're supposed to in their purpose as a football team. The coach doesn't run the plays. The coach calls the plays and teaches and equips the players how to play on the field. Now, whether you like this or not, this is clearly what the scripture teaches. Ephesians 4, 11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. It's called the fivefold ministry. It says, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Well, you're the minister, you should do the ministry. Absolutely. But my ministry job is the coach to teach the team how to do the ministry among each other. When somebody's in need in our church, it's not the pastor's job to run and make sure that they're taken care of in this area. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, it's our job. I'm here to train you. I'm here to show you this is how we learn how to have love and care one for another. Don't just sit back and go, well, pastor will take care of it. No, guess what? You're part of the body. Unless you're a consumer, and if you're a producer, you've got this. And let me just tell you right now. Producers don't get upset at this kind of preaching because they go, we need some help because they're the 20% that are doing 80% of the work. We need all the consumers who keep consuming. Praise God, we want to bless you. We want to feed you. We want to encourage you. But just start also giving back. Just like when I answered that text from that couple and I said, what can I bring? I want to participate. I want to serve. I want to bless. I want to bring something that will bless everybody else. I want to bring something to the table that I can do uh, that God has uniquely gifted me to do. Are y'all hearing this this morning? Finally, number eight, and I'm finished. Come on, Glenda. Number eight, James 1.22, do not be hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be a doer. Doer. Be a doer. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, be a doer. Be a doer of the word. Now, you know what? Deception is an unusual thing. By definition, you don't know it. When we hear only, we deceive ourselves, thinking that, oh, well, I'm, amen, praise God, here's my check. You know, praise God, thank you for your giving and your finance, but we need your time, we need your gifting, because you've got something in the room that somebody else doesn't have. You've got a skill, just like Glenda came up here and is providing an atmosphere for me to close this message, providing some beautiful music, that's a gift she has, and she's willing to share that. Everybody in the room has got a gift. 1 Peter 4.10, use that to serve one another well. So get in and help us. We have two services. People are gradually coming back. We only offer children's ministry in the 1045 service because we don't have a team big enough to do a nine o'clock service right now. We need help. We need help with ushers. We need help with greeters. We need help in the coffee team. Thank goodness for... Susan and Buddy, who do a beautiful job. Those of you that love coffee, we've got it available now. We didn't, do, we didn't have it for months. Thank you. Yes. We're about to have some wonderful outreach gifts. We're going to put a card in your hand next Sunday that's going to tell you immediately what we're looking to do. Some of the potential things that we've done in the past, our coats for kids in December, our share the love in February where the Victory Chicks get together and bake hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of chocolate chip cookies and we deliver it to every business in Marion and West Memphis with a little note, a gospel note, an encouraging note. First responders, state troopers, highway police, local police, firemen, paramedics, EMTs, all the first responders will get somebody in the church who's really good at you know, hanging out all night and roasting some shoulders, pork shoulders or whatever and we'll serve them a barbecue lunch. A whole lot of them won't come because they're tied to their local police department or where they're serving in their fire department and we'll send out all kinds of all kinds of carry out plates into those because we just want to tell our first responders how much we love you how much we appreciate you we need you in this community in West Memphis and Marion and Earl and Crawfordsville they come from these out out surrounding communities all around the whole area and we'll serve them and just Tell them, man, we're praying for you. If we can can ever do anything for you, call our church office and leave a message. We'll pray for your families. That's just a few. There's a dozen different things that we've done in the past, and we're looking to add some new ones. Pray and ask the Lord what he would have you to give. I personally, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm saying this for a challenge. I'm personally giving $1,000 in that miracle offering that day. I'm not a rich man, but I'm prioritizing what I'm giving because we've skipped a year, and we need to reactivate our outreach in Crittenden County for 2022. So I challenge you, there's some other people who can match that. If that's you and the Lord convicts your heart, then do that because we're believing God for a chunk. We wanna be able to fund all of these outreaches. This does not go to anything else but it's going to go to be able to bless our community and outreach. Things that we do, our screen on the green when we go out there at Brunetti Park and we set up a big huge screen, show a movie and give all the candy and soft drinks away. People come from other churches. People who are not church come and they visit and people show up at church the next Sunday because they go, hey, this is cool. I like how this church does this. A lot of stuff we do in this community that we wanna reignite and get back at it. So we need people who will serve in all those areas. When we give away coats for kids, when we do Screen on the Green, we need people in serve positions to show the love of Jesus, to show this community how much we love Crittenden County, Marion and West Memphis. Let's bow our hearts together for a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you that you help us today to remember that we have a choice. We can be a consumer. We can be entitled. We can think that I'm owed something. Or God, we can arise and begin to, out of a spirit of liberality, out of generosity, we can give our time, our talent, our treasure. Lord, I ask you today that you help us to see a new perspective for our problems. The camels are coming and they bite and they spit and they hiss and they're thirsty and they're hungry, but God, they're also packed down with blessings. Sometimes the blessings you send are disguised as problems until we break through and we see a change happen in our lives in every area. Help us, Lord, to see our camels in a new light. Lord, as we take the word, remind us that it's not an option to be a servant. We can't say we're a follower of Jesus and take up his yoke and not be actively serving ourselves. Let us be servants in our homes and serve those that we love. Sometimes we work 40, 50, 60-hour weeks and we give away our best only to get home and our families get the dregs. Lord, help us to serve enthusiastically and with passion to our husbands and our wives, to our children, Lord, in our local church, we pray. Jesus, help us. We need your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We know that we can't earn or deserve this precious gift of salvation, but we lean into you and we ask you, save us, transform us, fill us, guard us and guide us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. Our heavenly Eliezer, Holy Spirit of God, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise.